Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? Um, I know we, we just got started in Genesis. <laughs> uh, and we're going to come back to Genesis, but we're going to take a, a few weeks uh, during this time of Advent, preparing for Christmas, uh, and uh, look at uh, an Advent-themed sermon series uh, that I've entitled Songs of Emmanuel's Incarnation. Uh, we're going to look at three songs that we see uh, in the beginning of Luke uh, around the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, becoming incarnate, dwelling among us as a human being. So this morning we're going to look at Mary's song and the disruption of the incarnation. Uh, before I read, just a little background, you're probably already familiar, but just to get us caught up to speed. Mary, if you recall, receives this message from the angel Gabriel that she's going to bear a child. She's not married yet, but she's going to bear a child. And actually, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, the long-promised one, Israel's consolation, as we sang about earlier. And now she has left her home. She has traveled out to the countryside where her cousin Elizabeth lives, and she's going to spend some time there for a few months. But the passage I'm about to read is what comes to Mary's mind and out of her mouth and heart as she greets her cousin Elizabeth. So as with that as the background, will you follow along with me now as I read Luke 1 verses 46 to 56. This is God's holy word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months, and then returned to her home. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do ask now that you would meet with us. You, Jesus, the one that has the words of eternal life, is who we need to hear from. So speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that the meditations of my mouth and all of our hearts may be pleasing in your sight. For your sake, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I know, uh, I know we are Presbyterians, and it's not uh, typical for us Presbyterians to simply break out in song and celebration and singing, but go with me on this. Imagine the scenario. You have just received some amazing 
news? What news would be so amazing that you would receive that you might be, albeit being Presbyterian, might be tempted to break out into song and to singing as a reaction? (laughs) Maybe it it would be a, a favorite sports team who has finally earned that huge win in that intense rivalry after years and years of losing. This is, this is my case last year when the Tennessee Vols finally beat Alabama. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was receiving that long-awaited and deserved, that the news of a deserved raise at work from your boss. Maybe it was news that you just heard that that loved one, that friend, that family member is coming for Christmas. You'll be together for Christmas. What might be the news that you would hear this morning that would cause such a stir within you, you might just be tempted to break out into song? Young Mary here has just received some astonishing news. It's big news, and she can't help but celebrate and break out in the song. But this particular outburst of song by Mary is a bit shocking. (laughs) Because it's not a result of something that immediately and externally looks like something to even rejoice about. Rather, Mary is singing... She has broken out into song in response to something that is extremely disruptive and inconvenient. Most scholars believe Mary at this time would have been between 12 and 14 years old. Imagine that. At this time, in the wider world, in her world, she and her fellow Jewish kinsmen are living under great oppression by the occupying Romans. And the Romans' ways are cruel. They literally will crucify anyone that they deem as the smallest revolutionary threat to their power. And in the midst of all of this, in her personal life, Mary is engaged to a poor carpenter. And in the midst of that, an angel comes and tells her she's going to bear the promised Messiah, the ones that prophets have foretold for years and years via an out-of-wedlock, albeit miraculous, pregnancy. Now, depending on who gets a hold of that information, it carried the threat of being executed by stoning, not married and pregnant. I mean, think about it. In addition, in in several months, when she starts showing just a bit, when asked, what is she going to (laughs) say? Oh, you see, this angel came to me. (laughs) His name was Gabriel. And he said that God is, by his spirit, going to cause me to be miraculous, conceive miraculously. Oh, yeah, and the baby inside of me is to be called the Son of the Most High God. (laughs) That's not going to go over well. For Mary, her life has now been thoroughly 
disrupted. It would be hard to imagine a greater inconvenience for a young woman in that day than to be pregnant and not be married. And yet, and yet, despite the disruption and the inconvenience she now faces, Mary courageously sings. <laughs> but Emmanuel's incarnation is not only disruptive in how it will affect the life of this young peasant girl, it's also disruptive in how it even comes about at all. Think about it. Mary is singing about the coming of great King David's greater son, his greater descendant, coming to be enthroned as the king of Israel in the songs. You heard heard us sing earlier, be the king of Israel, and therefore, as king of Israel, king of the entire world. So who would you expect to be chosen to be the mother and family home for someone like that? What would you expect to be the basis for someone being asked to participate in those grand plans? Maybe someone wealthy. Maybe someone highly educated. Someone connected. Someone networked someone from a prominent family, at the very least from a major well-known city, surely. Mary is none of those things. First of all, she's from a small little town called Nazareth. Luke actually had to tell his audience a few verses prior that Nazareth was in Galilee, in case you didn't know. Remember when one of Jesus' future disciples, Nathaniel, was invited to come and meet this Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember his honest, straightforward response? <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's where Mary's from. And furthermore, we know nothing about her prior to this day. There's nothing special at all about Mary in the eyes of the world that she would be a recipient of such a grand task. Now, despite how you and I may experience some kind of sentimentality at this time of year when we put our nativity scenes together and think about young Mary bearing her son Jesus. By the way, I just went to the thrift store and got my 9.99 nativity scene because I needed some kind of decoration in my little apartment. So I'm right there. The reality is you and I aren't ordinarily impressed in real life by anything lowly. We aren't moved or inspired by the insignificant. That doesn't get our attention. We are captivated by and impressed with and admire people who are competent, who are intelligent, who are wealthy, people who are resourced and networked. These are the things that more often than not get our attention. And the basis for how you and I, how you and I grant and attribute acceptance and celebration and esteem. But when God grants his favor and grace, it is based on none of those things. In fact, God seems to go out of his way to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. 
God seems to go out of his way to use the weak things of this world to shame the powerful. And that's been God's way from the very beginning. If we go back to Deuteronomy 7, God tells his people, it was not. (laughs) It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his affection on you. Because you were the least of all the people. No, God chooses and sets his affection on those he loves, not based on anything we do or can do for him, but rather simply out of his sheer mercy and grace to even those the world would give no attention to. (laughs) But even furthermore, the disruption and inconvenience of Emmanuel's incarnation will go well beyond the life of this young Mary. Its impact is promised to be far and wide. Listen again to Mary's song in verses 51 to 53. There she sings, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is widespread disruption. (laughs) Things on a grand scale will not be the same. The kingdoms of this world, the way of this world, the systems of this world will be turned completely upside down. Excuse me. By the coming of Emmanuel. In fact, I would make the case that if this song wasn't in the Bible, we wouldn't want it to be. It's too disruptive. (laughs) Or we would try to at least dilute the tone Mary is taking here. The mighty brought down from their thrones, the humble being exalted, the hungry filled, and the rich sent away empty. you know where the world experiences such disruptions? During political revolutions. (laughs) This is the language of Mary's song. But (laughs) there's something different about this revolution that will make it all the more disruptive, and I would add, even more subversive and countercultural. You see, Jesus' kingdom comes and takes root not by swords or tanks. Jesus' kingdom spreads not because his people are just more powerful or simply have more resources than others. Jesus will later, if you'll recall, confront a representative of the greatest political and military power of the day, Pontius Pilate, and will say that my kingdom is not of this world. Now, Jesus is not saying my kingdom doesn't interact with this world. (laughs) Jesus is not saying that my kingdom exists somewhere out there somewhere in some disembodied spiritual world. No, rather, when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he means that my kingdom's protocol, its tactics, its MO, is completely unlike that of any other kingdom in this world. And so for those of us who would follow him, who would be his disciples, he bids us, he summons us to resist resorting to the same tactics and weapons, and the same MO that this world is used to using. 
if we are honest with ourselves, wouldn't we have to admit, even as followers of Jesus, we do actually have the tendency to take on similar tactics to the world and think the same as the world and its kingdoms. Example, how many times have we heard of someone famous or powerful or wealthy coming to faith? Or perhaps someone who seems to be on the verge of coming to faith. And we had the thought, wow, if that person (laughs) came to faith, imagine the influence they would have for Christianity. Or don't we assume sometimes, though we may not say it out loud, if we just had more money, if we just had more resources, if we just had more people in power, then Jesus' kingdom could advance. Even we Christians sometimes fall into the thinking that bigger is better. Wealth, power, strength, pride. These are what the kingdoms of this world consider necessary assets to leave their mark on this world. But not Emmanuel. (laughs) Not King Jesus. Through Mary's song, we come to learn that these are no longer the primary sought-after assets in his kingdom. To be a disciple of and to follow this Jesus, therefore, means more often than not that the greater fight is in here. (laughs) Not out there. When we realize we need to resist making our own personal agenda tantamount. When we realize, you know what, we need to declare war on our own egos. That's the true fight more often than not. It means we become slower to speak and quicker to listen to people around us, both within the family of God, but also with those who don't think like us theologically. It means that we don't simply shout louder in order for those outside the faith to finally succumb to our message. (laughs) The incarnation of Emmanuel is this disruptive. It's so disruptive that Jesus commands his disciples to pray (laughs) for their enemies. Pray. Do good to those who hurt you. What other leader, what other king do you know of that exhorts his citizens to pray for their enemies and do good to those who persecute them? But don't, won't that put us at a disadvantage if we, if we can't play by the same rules as the rest of the world? Our cause will be hamstrung if we're limited in how we can respond and interact with the world. That would be true unless Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. <laughs> we are called to be, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're called to think differently. We're called to respond differently, trusting that Jesus' kingdom, in fact, does take root, and it does make a difference not by relying on resources, power, swords, thrones, or even, dare I say that, oval offices. (laughs) In other words, God might be telling us the truth when he says it's not by might, but by my spirit, (laughs) says the Lord. 
Now, of course, our sinful and fallen hearts would much prefer to utilize the same tactics that everyone else gets to play by. (laughs) Jesus says to his disciples, no, I want you to be different because my kingdom is different. Jesus is exhorting us as his followers when the world disagrees with us, when we are dismissed. It's not time to increase our ammunition, but rather to return fire with humble, courageous compassion, just as we have been loved. That's a tall task. (laughs) How is that remotely possible? Mary shows us here in her song why this king, the incarnate Emmanuel, demonstrates he very much can be trusted as he asks us to follow him as his disciples in such disruptive, inconvenient, and countercultural ways. Look at the way she describes the posture toward her of the one she refers to as God and Savior. In verse 48, Mary says that God has looked on or looked upon her humble estate. He has looked upon my humble estate a state. That is much more than a mere gaze. (laughs) This means that the mighty one that she is referred to in verse 49 has taken special saving notice of her. Mary is about as fully self-aware about herself and her stature in this world as a human being could possibly be, and yet knows she has experienced the very mercy and care of the Most High God reaching all the way to even her. (laughs) According to John Calvin, Mary has true knowledge. She rightly knows her God and she rightly knows herself. And in response of that true knowledge, she's incredulous at the thought that she, of all people, would receive such attention and care from her Lord and Savior. This is deep down in her bones, experiential understanding of the grace of God on the part of Mary. It's not simply an objective proposition to her. No, the gospel is the fact that by faith in Jesus Christ, because of his work on your behalf on the cross, you have received particular attention and care from your creator and God. The gospel proclaims that in spite of whether the rest of the world takes notice of you or not, God, the one who made you, and nevertheless to whom we have all rebelled in our sin, still comes and looks upon us in our humble estate. That's the gospel. And that's what God has promised from the very beginning. And Mary is singing about here. You see, Mary demonstrates she really knows her Bible in this short song. Not that she knows a bunch of isolated Bible facts, but rather that she's able to coalesce all of Scripture into one main redemptive story. As she references Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Psalms, Zephaniah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Job, 
And then in verses 54 and 55, she sings this. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What was Mary remembering that God spoke to her forefathers in general and to Abraham in particular? Paul helps us out in Galatians 3.8, where there he says something very extraordinary. He says that the gospel was actually preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. According to Paul, God spoke and promised the gospel first to Abraham. So what's Mary doing here? She's connecting all the, all the dots all the way back to this original promise by God to Abraham and realizing it is all being fulfilled right now <laughs> in the child she will bear. The incarnate Emmanuel, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the gospel coming to fruition as God had promised from the very beginning. I remember sitting in an airport some time ago an extended layover. And I was sitting up at a bar, I think, watching a football game. And over the course of an hour, I, another guy had, had walked up and sat next to me, and we got into a conversation. And I'm sure it started off simply as a conversation about the game, where are you flying to, where are you flying from. But it had evolved into something more. <laughs> and somehow we got to talking about systems of government, <laughs> And he was at some point making the case that the Democratic Republic was the best. And I suggested that perhaps a benevolent and just monarchy with the right person would be best. He said, well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> and he said, furthermore, it's too much of a risk anyway. It's why we parted ways with England many, many years ago. <laughs> I asked, but what if it did? Would it change your mind? Now, because we had already broached the topic of faith in the conversation earlier, he turned and looked at me and he said, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> then he added, but I can't believe as you do. Because after all, when I look at the world... It doesn't look like Jesus is actually reigning as king right now. Mary would have a response. Mary helps us here because she is singing and forth-telling what Jesus will one day claim with his disciples in Matthew 28. If you recall, after his resurrection, he sends them out. Do you remember the basis for why he sends them out? He says, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power and authority. If that's true, and we still see the brokenness of this world around us, then apparently Jesus must wield that power differently than all previous kings, monarchs, dictators, and all that have reigned since. 
And Mary would say that's exactly the case. That's exactly the case. King Jesus, if you recall, will open up his own sermon on the mount describing the character of those who, are, who will participate in ushering in his kingdom, who will participate in the making of all things new, including Palm Bay. And it's not the ones with the most resources or the most powerful in the world. It's the poor in spirit. <laughs> it's the meek. It's the merciful. It's those who mourn. It's the peacemakers. (laughs) These are the characters, the characteristics of those through whom Jesus' kingdom comes to reign little by little. One individual, one neighborhood at a time. But it will be through the foolish things of this world, through the weak, through the insignificant. And that's good news because often I feel way too insignificant to really matter. (laughs) And the obstacles in our way often seem way too big to overcome. And so as I close, here's the question. Here's the question for you and for me this morning. Are we self-aware enough to know ourselves as deeply as Mary knew herself. To not simply be able to assent to a theological proposition, but to know, the, to deep, deeply know <laughs> the motives of our hearts that undergird the unhealthy ways we interact with other people, to know the sin beneath our sin, in other words, and at the very same time, be able to comprehend and ponder that the reality is that God is fully aware of all of that. <laughs> God is more aware of all the brokenness still remaining in our hearts. He knows all of that. And yet, he has looked upon us as his children through Jesus Christ in mercy and kindness and therefore causes us, like Mary, to be incredulous at the grace of God. Because, my friends, when we are there, when we are there, We will carry a song like Mary's around with us. It will be the very fuel that helps us to look at the world around us, not with pessimism, but with redemptive hope that Jesus' kingdom and reign is still powerful enough to come to fruition both in us and through us, albeit differently than any other kingdom. And at the end of the day, that's who and what New City is has been called to be an outpost of that alternate and countercultural kingdom where a good and a just and a benevolent monarchy does in fact reign, (laughs) but extends and wields that reign through his followers, through his disciples in ways that are subversively countercultural. May God give us the grace to be just that right here at New City, here in Palm Bay for our neighbors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, in those clearest, most self-aware moments about ourselves, when we do have a, a clear picture of who we truly are, not just theoretically, of course we all know we're sinners, but when we, theoret- when we when, not theoretically, but when we experientially understand who we are and the various ways we are still broken, and yet, at the very same time,
are recipients of your great grace and kindness to us because of Jesus. The fact that you have looked upon us with that type of kindness and mercy. Oh, Jesus, when, we, when that's clear in our minds, we can't help but celebrate. We may not break out into song like Mary. <laughs> but Jesus, I pray that we might more and more be in touch with the full reality, the true knowledge, both of ourselves and of you, that we might be the conduits of your kindness and mercy as we long to see your kingdom further shine, further grow right here in this area in Palm Bay. Jesus, give us, give us the grace and the courage, humility to truly understand and believe the reality of your kindness to us. We pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.